Wake up, Daddy's home. Hello, and welcome to this week's Alpha Zone with me, your host, the Alpha. Pull up a chair, have a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, a hot chocolate, a beer, or a glass of wine, or depending on when you're listening to this, tequila! Relax and enjoy this week's Alpha Zone. And now we start with AW Dynamite, live from Wednesday the 6th of April 2022. Whether 28, 48 or 68, Christian Cage remains the smoothest professional wrestler in the business. Something that was on full display here Wednesday night as he battled Adam Cole in the night's opening contest. This pay-per-view quality match was a great way to kick off the show in front of a red-hot Boston crowd. The sequence were great and the psychology was strong. The technical wrestling, the grappling, the traditional wrestling, it was great. Adam Cole hooking the ropes with his leg to counter an attempted kill switch, then poking Christian Cage in the eyes and following up with the boom with no knee pad this time for the win made a great finish that put over his in-ring awareness and ability to cheat like hell and go undetected. It would have been nice to see Cole win one of these matches clean without having to resort to underhanded tactics but it is a major aspect of his heel character right now. He is a traditional heel who talks a big game and has to cheat to secure victories. There will be no such thing as cheating next Friday in Texas when he challenges Hangman Adam Page for the world title in a Texas death match. 9 out of 10. Cole spit at Christian. This is my thoughts. Cole spitting at Christian Cage and attempting to suck him into chasing him only for Captain Charisma to see it come in and cut him off with a big right hand on the floor was great. Cage leapfrogged the ring post only to crash and burn on the arena floor as Cole retained control of the bout. Cole falling and failing to put Cage away with the boom was great until Excalibur exclaiming it was because he did not lower the knee pad like he normally does. Oi, oi, oi. Oi, oi, oi. Oh, why did, why did Sockface Excalibur have to speak at all? He should have just let Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross call the match. Page challenged Adam Cole next Friday on Rampage in a Texas death match. Cole sold it perfectly, both dismay and contented. 
If I were you, I would get my affairs in order, Page told his top contender. To hammer home the seriousness of the hell Adam Cole is about to endure. Next, the Owen Hart Foundation's men's tournament match. Samoa Joe on his AW debut versus Max Caster. A fun match was not on the agenda for Samoa Joe, who was unimpressed by Max Caster's pre-match rep and wasted little time in showing him so. Joe obliterated the acclaimed Mike Mann by defeating him in short order with a muscle buster, the first man to qualify for the Owen Hart Foundation's men tournament. After the match, Jay the Sexual Predator Lethal and Sonjay Butt appeared on the video screen and vowed to have a present for Samoa Joe next week in New Orleans. A strong introduction to the dominant force that is Samoa Joe. This was still a little more than a glorified squash match and cannot be graded much higher as a result. So, nine and a half out of 10. If the match had gone on for another two minutes, 10 out of 10. My thoughts. When we beat them in the ratings, he was their champion. Caster rapped about Joe's time as NXT champion. This pissed Joe off. And Joe's reaction to Caster's backhanded strike was great and gave way to the finish. Next, the Battle of the Sean Jobbers. Captain Sean D versus Sean Spears. Spears tossed Dean to the floor almost instantly and pointed to the large signs at ringside that said Warlow, Wardlow was banned from the arena. He then traded chops with Dean in the ring. Spears landed a bump, had landed it to a net breaker, but pulled Sean Dean up and made the cover. He then picked up Dean for his C4 Death Valley driver, but the camera focused on a punch of injured security people backstage. The crowd charted for Wardlow, and then he showed up and destroyed members of the security team who were trying to stop him making his way to the ring. Wardlow made his way to the ring, but was eventually stopped by three police officers. Sean D used the distraction to roll up Spears for the win. Captain Sean Dean defeated Sean Spears in 3 minutes 31 seconds. After the match, MJF ran into the ring and tried to calm Spears as Wardlow laughed while he was being escorted to the back. Elsewhere backstage, we got a response from Wheelie Utah and best friends. Chuck E. Cheese Taylor tried to appeal to him by saying that he loved him and wanted 
the best for him, but Trent told him he should watch his match with, with Daniel Bryan on Friday and learn something from the guys he's turning his back on. My thoughts. They were doing a nice job of setting Wardlow up of getting his hands on MJF, but I hoped they'd get more clever with it if they're going to drag this out for a while. Also, there was no reason for the Sean Spears, Sean, Captain Sean Dean match, because it was just pointless. Eddie Kingston, Santana and Ortiz brawled with the Jericho Appreciation Society, chasing them out of the arena. The trio of babyfaces called out their foes for a six-man tag match next week in New Orleans. As always, an entertaining promo brimming with conviction. You know, the tables match between the Hardys and the Butcher and the Blade was doomed early when Jeff failed to go through a table in which was meant to be his elimination from the match. The Butcher's departure came in a better spot as Matt drove him through the table with a side effect. A match described as not great saw Jeff take a big bump via a swamp time bomb off the top onto a ladder driving blade through the table for the win. It was a gimmick bout that existed for the sake of highlighting the Hardy Boys. The problem with that is Matt and Jeff cannot and should not be relied on to take big bumps and high risks every week. This is not the 2000s and their bump cards are pretty full as it is. They are talented enough at this point in their careers to have great matches against young teams without having to endure the risks of ending up in a wheelchair every week. Especially when this match was not particularly good nor memorable. I'm going to give this a 3 out of 10. My thoughts. We're going to beat your ass old school like Junkyard Dog and Butch Reed style, Kingston promised, while flexing his wrestling historical knowledge. Jade Cargill cut a promo and she said she was tired of the former MMA fighter popping up in her ring in which was a great line and a reflection of Mana Scharf and Paige Van Zandt's recent rivalry. This is bowling shoe this is a bowling shoe ugly table match, said Jim Ross. And a phrase that could not describe this match better. For those that don't know, that is code for not good, no reason to have it, and should not have happened. Next, Owen Hart Foundation Tournament women's match when Hukaru Shido versus Julia Hart. A more aggressive, no-nonsense Julia Hart than we have seen to this point revealed herself on Wednesday night as she attacked Hukaru Shito before the opening bell of their Owen Hart's Foundation Women's Tournament qualifying match. Despite a game 
changing performance from heart, Shida scored the win with her Falcon Arrow finisher. In my opinion, the wrong woman went over. Hart looked good, as she has to this point, having the opportunity at a rare, exclusive showing on Dynamite. She worked a hero role. She has yet to find herself a successful role in AEW to this point. While there is still room to grow there, she hung in there with and I say this in air quotes, an accomplished competitor in Hukaru Shita and did not look out of place. The match itself was acceptable wrestling, even if it lacked the crowd heat you would have hoped for given the tournament the tournament qualifier st- status. And honestly, Julia Hart, who is an who is related to the Hart family in real life, in which Owen Hart, before his tragic, his tragic death, rest in peace, Owen, you know, you think Tony Khan would go, hmm, let's at least have a member of the Hart family get to the finals if we're not going to have her win it. But no, Tony Khan showed off his mark booking here. When he allowed Kenny Omega, who books the women's division, to let his fetish win again. This match gets a 2 out of 10. My thoughts. Hart sending the Varsity Blondes to the back was the latest hint at her turn towards the dark side. The black makeup peering out from her eye patch further indicated at her descent and potential association with the House of Black. Shira Deep returned confronting Shida in a tense stare down after the match and reminding everyone that yes, unfortunately, the feud is continuing and the professor is still hanging around despite a continuous lack of TV time. Now, just like I said last week in the Alpha Zone, and I made a prediction, I'm going to predict the results of this match before I even watch it. You won't notice a time difference, because I'll pause it and then come back after I've watched the match, but my prediction is the middle-aged bucks have booked themselves to win the AAA and the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships. Let me remind you that the AAA and the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships are currently held by FTR. FTR won the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships in a phenomenal match that I have called the Alpha Zones Tag Team Match of the Year. Now, Let's see if my prediction was right. That the middle-aged bucks have booked themselves to win both sets of titles. Because can you imagine the heat, Tony, of we becoming the AAA and Ring of Honor and AEW Tag Team Champions. So we can take pictures with the belts and they can continue 
to screw over FTR. That's my prediction. Let's see if I'm right. So, expectations were high in the arena as FTR and the middle-aged bucks took to the squared circle for their second ever meeting in what Excalibur himself described as a dream match. And this is the main event of Dynamite. The two Could the two teams exceed the Ring of Honor match, is what Excalibur exclaimed. Cash Wheeler and Matt Jackson started the match. They were working some mat wrestling and reversals and took advantage of a red-hot crowd reacting to everything. Matt bailed to ringside so Wheeler could put on his bandana and did the Young Bucks pose to taunt him. Wheeler landed the drop-toe hold and tagged in Dax Harwood. Matt quickly back... Mm. Backpedalled into the corner and tagged in Nick Jackson. Nick took off his bandana and threw it at Dax. He caught him and stuffed it down the front of his pants. Harwood avoided a trip and landed a couple of arm drags. Nick backed Dax into the corner and Matt made a blind tag. Dax rolled to the floor and ran away and regrouped to avoid a double team and possibly getting injured by the Hardly Boys. Dax and Matt squared off and proceeded to launch into flips, tricks and dance routines and tactics. It's the only way I can describe it. Matt and Nick landed a couple of double team drop kicks. Moments later, FTR Applied stereo sharpshooters, but the middle-aged bucks escaped after gouging the eyes of Cash and Wheeler in front of the zombie referee. And yet, the middle-aged bucks' favourite referee, the corpse referee himself, did not call for the disqualification, like he should have done. The bucks successfully isolated Wheeler and landed a combination of cannonballs, senton bombs, and flips, tricks, and dance routines. And Matt Jackson sold his lower back. The announcers, the announce team mentioned that he has had a bad back for years, and Matt did a Brett's rope elbow drop and did a Hitman taunt to go under to get under the skin of FTR. Nick Jackson tagged in and continued to the isolation of Wheeler. He smashed his face into the ropes and bumped him to the outside. They continued to isolate Cash Wheeler during the break. Cash kicked the large, kicked the legs out from Nick Jackson and he did a headbutt off the apron. He then sent Matt through the ropes. He went to tag Harwood, but Nick landed a kick to send Dax off the apron, just in time to prevent the tag. Matt 
charged at Cash and hit him hard in the corner. Nick tried to dive on him, but Cash landed a European uppercut. Harwood got the hot tag and cleaned house on both Matt and Nick. He landed heavy strikes and rolled up Matt for the slowest two count by the zombie referee ever. They traded pinning attempts and reversals. Funny how when it came to the middle-aged bucks, the zombie referee was able to count quickly, but when it came to FTR, he, was, he wasn't he was able to count as quickly, and it was very, very slowly. Harwood landed a pile driver on Matt for another slow count near fall. He then placed Matt on the top rope and landed a series of chops. Nick jumped back into the action without tagging himself in and the zombie referee didn't count to five and disqualify. Nope, he just allowed it and then he just allowed Matt to go on the outside and Nick took over. <laughs> He then sent Harwood back into the ring. Wheeler countered a drop kick from Nick on the apron with a suplex. FTR set up for the powerplex, but Wheeler could not follow up with a splash because Nick Jackson took him down with a head scissors. Nick landed a series of kicks and elbows in the corner and then ran Wheeler into a bulldog and a drop kick combination. Harwood avoided a splash on the floor and landed a brain buster on Nick on the outside. Wheeler picks him up. Matt ran into a Corey Graves special position and dropped him on his face for the near fall. Matt Jackson avoided the big rig and Nick Jackson distracted the zombie referee so Matt could land a low, a low blow on Cash. Matt and Nick used the big rig on FTR for a close near fall, then landed more buck, more buck for your buck for another close fall. Matt made a series of strikes, a second and third cover for the same result. Nick retrieved one of the Ring of Honor belts from the timekeeper's table. Dax fought with him over it, but Nick kept it and bashed Wheeler with it. The zombie referee saw this and did not call for the disqualification again. Matt rolled up Wheeler with his tights, but Harwood broke up the pin. The middle-aged buck set up for the BTE trigger and landed it on Wheeler, and the ref counted to three but Wheeler's foot was on the rope. Referee Rip Knox, the zombie ref, told him they did not get the count and they set up for the Meltzer driver. FTR reversed into a power bomb and tombstone combination. FTR then landed a B-trigger of their own and kissed Nick Jackson on the cheek. Why they felt the need to do this shit is beyond me. They landed the big rig for the win. FTR Dax 
Bucks, Harwood and Cash Wheeler defeated. The middle-aged Bucks, Matt Jackson and Nick Jackson to retain the Ring of Honor and AAA Tag Team Championships at 20 minutes and 11 seconds. After the match, FDR celebrated as the show was suddenly cut off. My thoughts. This is another example of great tag team wrestling by FTR. The middle-aged Bucks and their bullshit referee Rick Knox is ridiculous. Tony Khan should just fire the middle-aged Bucks' favourite referee and just get rid of him once and for all. The middle-aged Bucks should have their power to book the tag team division taken away from them. Yes, I am over the moon that FTR retained both sets of titles. However, I was expecting at any moment for the zombie referee with how quick his counts were for the middle-aged Bucks and how slow they were for FTR for the middle-aged Bucks to just win out of nowhere. When they had that false finish where the corpse referee counted to three, I honestly expected him to say, I didn't see it, didn't count, therefore the middle-aged Bucks are the champions. Honestly, that wouldn't have surprised me. The fact that Excalibur exclaimed very loudly in his ridiculous voice that this match beat anything that has ever happened in tag team wrestling before and that the performance by the Young Bucks in this match more than beat FTR versus the Briscoes just tells you how much of a mark he is for the middle-aged Bucks. This match was nowhere near that level, nowhere near at all. Yes, the right team won, however, I'm going to give this a 5 out of 10. My, you know, just some extra thoughts here. The fact that Matt mocked his opponent's favourite wrestler, Bret Hart, is just disrespectful, not only to FTR, but to Bret Hart. The crowd erupted for Dax Harwood's hot tag, and he repaid them with some great babyface fire. Harwood faking out Matt during an exchange of rights and lefts, then dropped him with a pile driver was great. Nick Jackson interrupting the powerplex by FTR and delivered a Hurricane Rana to Wheeler was meh. And for some reason, the idiot crowds popped. A low blow in front of the referee by Matt Jackson to Wheeler drew great heat. Although I've got the feeling it's more heat on the referee who didn't call for the disqualification than anything else. The fact that Rick Knox actually did the right thing for once when he said Wheeler's foot was on the ropes and restarted the match. Neglect, um, you know, 
saying that no, the Bucks didn't win. Negating the win was great. The fact that he actually had to do his job despite the bias in this match. I thought FTR kissing Matt as they knocked on their trademark spot with Cole was just bullshit and didn't need to happen. And that's my honest opinion. You know what I'm going to do now, folks? I'm going to go back and I'm going to watch FTR versus the Briscoes again. Now we turn to AEW Rampage from Friday the 8th of April 2022. Rampage opened with Daniel Bryan and Trent Beretta in the ring waiting for the referee to call the bell. But Daniel Bryan started off in control but Beretta didn't let him keep the upper hand for too long. This belt, this bout felt a bit personal than usual especially for a Rampage match because of what is going on with Yuda and the BCC. Even though Beretta seems to want nothing to do with Yuta, he also appears to hold some sort of grudge over it with the BCC. Daniel Bryan has been lauded for his technical ability for years, but people shouldn't sleep on Beretta. He has been a great in-ring performer for a long time and seeing him get a chance to show it off against someone like Daniel Bryan was good. This was a solid back and forth exchange that had some pretty nice sequences but it slowed down a lot because they spent more time taunting each other than usual. So that had a lot to do with it. Beretta had a few moments where he came close to winning but the outcome was never in question. Daniel Bryan was always going to win and he did so with the, the LaBelle lock. 9 out of 10. My thoughts. Having William Regal on commentary again was amazing. Excuse me, there is a message for you. He was excellent at that job in NXT. He offered some good oversight and put over the regular AEW commenters for making his job easy. Well, yeah, when you're watching somebody like Excalibur and you're competing with them, of course William Regal's job is a piece of piss. Beretta hit the steel ring steps hard at one point, but he seemed to just shake it off, but it sounded very painful. The fact that even Daniel Bryan looked over tells you all you need to know. Daniel Bryan is doing heel things like jumping jacks to celebrate prematurely, but the crowd loves him too much to boo anything he does, especially since he's being paired with John Moxley and William Regal now. There was a scary spot when Beretta countered a suplex and landed on Daniel Bryan's neck. It did not appear to cause any major damage, but that doesn't mean it didn't cause damage. With Daniel Bryan's history of neck problems, Trent Barretta, let me tell you this. In the words of the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, do not do shit you do not know how to do. Do not do shit you do not know how to do. 
The next match saw Swerve Strickland versus QT Marshall. We got a brief segment with Scorpio Sky, Ethan Page and Dan Lambert in the ring with Sammy Guevara and Tyre coming out to confront them from the stage. It led to a verbal altercation. The next match saw Swerve take on Marshall in the singles competition while the head trainer of the Nightmare Factory got in some early offence. Strickland used his speed to gain the upper hand very quickly. AW could have easily booked this as a short bout with Swerve getting an easy win, but this ended up being more competitive than I expected. Marshall controlled most of the action throughout the commercial break, but Swerve began to make his comeback shortly after we returned to the show. This was a good but forgettable match. It was done to pad Swerve's win-loss record a bit and give him some action before he and Keith Lee take on Powerhouse Hawks and Ricky Starks. Swerve won with a kick to the back of the head. 5 out of 10. My thoughts. There was a backstage segment before the match with Lexi near trying to hook Hook with an interview. He didn't say anything and tried to leave, but Danhausen popped up out of a garbage can to curse him, but Hook just threw his chip bag in the trash with him. Nick Camarado was at ringside, but had no impact on the outcome, and quite honestly, I forgot he was there. Starks announced a tag match with him and Hobbs, taking on Lee and Swerve next Wednesday. Boring. Next, Willow versus Red Velvet. And remember, Willow was the Ring of Honor Women's Champion. Willow and Red Velvet fought in a qualifying match to see who would get a spot in the Women's Owen Hart Foundation Tournament. They used a lot of holds, counters, takedowns, traditional wrestling to keep this competitive without the feeling of them, without one of them being more heel than the other. Whenever two baby faces fight, it tends to be a little more technical because they aren't trying to hurt each other. Velvet was a bit more... Healish in my opinion, and Velvet was the first to utilize several strikes in the corner, which was probably the right call because Willow is too beloved by her fans to be the heel in any equation. It seems like both women had this match in the bag at very different points, so it became less predictable as to who was going to win. However, Velvet still managed to score the win. This was meh, but there was a serious lack of chemistry between these two women. I hope if they're going to do this again, their next encounter is better. Three out of ten. My thoughts. Velvet tried to avoid a moonsault, but Willow ended up kind of hitting her anyway. They sold it. As if it missed completely. Willow got some pops. 
from the announcers for her performance at Supercard of Honor last Friday. The pounce from Willow would make Malfi Brown proud. A velvet began to act a bit more like a heel towards the end. She was getting some booze too. Perhaps she will turn at some point during the Owen Hart tournament. Now we turn to the main event. That's all newly crowned Ring of Honor Pure Champion Utah take on John Moxley. During a pre-match interview with Mark Henry, both men seemed fired up for this match to take place. Utah attacked Moxley as he was making his entrance by hitting a suicide dive. Seriously, how many more of these suicide dives do we have to fucking see? Just retire the move already, for fuck's sake. They fought into the crowd before the match even had a chance to officially begin. Utah stayed in the fight for the most part, but once Moxley busted him open by throwing him into the steel steps, Utah was on the defensive and trying his best to create some space between himself and Mox. This was easily the most meh, match of the night. I think it showcased Wheeler Utah's great abilities and the outlaw mud show bullshit of John Moxley. However, the abilities of Utah were on display here after his successful performance at Supercard of Honor when he won the pure Ring of Honor Championship and made him look tougher than he ever was before. Yuta managed to kick out of the paradigm shift twice, but was unable to keep himself from passing out to the rear naked choke. This was an absolute barn burner, to quote Jim Ross, of a match and a fantastic way to close the show. Yuta was already thought of as a solid worker by most fans, but now people are going to see how good he is. And aside of his technical business, Regal shook his hand to end the show on a high note. 8 out of 10. The Utah dive to hit Moxley during his entrance looked awesome on camera, but again, and it's just my thoughts, I'm sick of seeing the shit. Moxley telling Utah to chop him and then immediately kicking him in the face was just ridiculous. The spot when Utah Dove on Moxley to put him through a table. Looked much better than most AW ring table spots. Daniel Bryan and Regal coming down to show Utah respect after the match was a good moment. And now we turn to Friday Night Smackdown from the 8th of April 2022. Who's next for for the undisputed Universal World Heavyweight Champion Roman Reigns on the Islands of Relevancy. It was a question at the heart of Friday's episode of Smackdown on Fox, the first since a meh WrestleMania that saw the Tribal Chief defeat Brock in a winner's take all main event, which was actually amazing, who stepped up to the plate to challenge the head of the table, and what were the other things that went on 
what did WWE have in store for its fans on the first of the Blue Brands television following the two biggest nights in sports entertainment for 2022? Join us as we find out now. On the heels of her disappointing and controversial loss to Charlotte Flair at WrestleMania Saturday night, Ronda Rousey kicked off Friday night Smackdown with a no-nonsense promo. She placed the blame solely on herself but ex- expressed a desire for a rematch, an I quit match. Flair laughed off the challenge and questioned Rousey's moniker and told her rival to get to the back of the line, a defiant Rousey promised to inflict pain next time they met up. The promo was far more dynamite and carried mostly by the Queen. Rousey appeared to have lost her confidence she had on the mic during her last run and nothing she has been given to say of late has done much to help her recover it. Hopefully that changes. At least the promo did what it set out to advance this feud and set up a potential blockbuster rematch. I'm (coughs) I'm going to give this a 4 out of 10. My thoughts. I'm starting to think the baddest woman on the planet isn't just a snappy cat's phrase, it's a myth. Because you can't win when it matters, so get to the back of the line, bitch, Flair told Rousey from the backstage area. That was great. Then you're not just going to say you quit, you're going to scream it as I turn your elbow backwards. Rousey threatened was great. What can I say about the next match? A match between two NXT originals saw Xavier Woods Avenge New Day's loss to Sheamus and Ridge Holland by defeating Butch in singles competition. The contest put over the technical heel and the ruthlessness of Woods who scored a small package roll-up. The renamed Backwoods by Pat McAfee for the win. After the match, Butch teed off on his own teammates before perching himself on the top rope and pouting like a child. Michael Cole and his demonic screaming on commentary in that regards. The match was as much about establishing the Butch character as the match itself, considering no one really knew what persona this was actually supposed to be when it popped up on television. It's nice to see some development, but 0 out of 10. My thoughts. I bruised the weights, Woods said, in a tip-off to Butch's previous life as the bruiserweight, Pete Dunn. Pat McAfee covering for the Butch name by equating him to a butcher was a nice touch by the SmackDown colour commentator and a great cover for this stupid-ass name change. New Day, meh, what can I say? 
Next, backstage, Sami Zayn ran his mouth to Adam Pearce about his WrestleMania loss and managed to put his foot in his mouth again. Vowing to fight and defeat the next wrestler to walk out the door. <coughs> Who was that guy? Drew McIntyre. In the arena, poor Joe had the inevitable task of battling Gutha in his first match on the main roster. Star Ludwig, formerly Marcel, whatever the fuck his name was in Imperium, accompanied the general for the one-sided match. Gutha put pushing fools will never not be entertaining. He completely overwhelmed his opponent, gobbling him up and putting him away to earn a win in a solid main roster introduction. Caster himself is a strong in-ring competitor and a two-time NXT champion. Hopefully he has the opportunity to get some in-ring time of his own and better establish his good self. That match gets a 10 out of 10. My thoughts. Zayn turning heel on cheese during the backstage confrontation with Piers was just meh. Big Will Smith bombs to the chest. McAfee said of Gunner, pushing his open hand to the chest of his opponent. Backstage, Kayla introduced the latest SmackDown star, Rachel, I have no fucking clue who she was, who turned down a chance at a kiss from Los Lotharios. Just meh. Next, a disastrous and distraught Happy Corbin made his way to the ring for Happy Talk, seconded by... Murdcap Moss. Corbin blamed his loss to Drew McIntyre on Moss and claimed he was too busy making WrestleMania all about him. Unimpressed by Moss's jokes, Corbin berated him as the crowd chanted Moss in support of the Andre the Giant Battle Royal winner. Moss answered with a joke, the punchline being Corbin as the two severed their partnership. Moss attacked Corbin to the delight of fans and the two brawled, ending their team ship. Ending with Moss getting the best of getting the best from his former associate and destroying Corbin and destroying the happy Corbin set. So what so what say what you will about Happy Corbin's character and the bullshit creative leading into WrestleMania. The crowd's reaction to Moss and his split is proof that it worked. Fans in attendance Friday loved Moss and treated him like the next big thing. Given his work with McIntyre over the last three months, Moss has earned this opportunity. 9 out of 10. My thoughts. Is bum-ass Corbin back? 
McAfee asked. I think you've gotten too big for your suspenders and you've forgotten your place to tell me a joke, Corbin said to Moss. Next, Drew McIntyre versus Sami Zayn and Lacey Evans returned. Sami Zayn sought to recover from his humiliating loss to Johnny Knoxville at the WrestleMania 38. Drew McIntyre had other plans as the Scottish warrior plummeted him early and pummeled him often, even preventing El Generico from escaping up the ramp on more than one occasion. Zane eventually did escape the grasp of his opponent, dodging a claymore and running away through the crowd. McIntyre pointed at the sword and at Zane to close out the segment. This match was nothing to write home about, but it did set the stage for a rivalry between these two for some reason. Which could be either the best thing for Sami Zayn or the worst thing for Drew McIntyre. If Zayn is allowed to remind fans that he is a talented in-ring competitor, the individual styles of the competitors would seem to mesh as well as characters. If McIntyre is not slated to challenge Roman Reigns next, there are very few worse options for him than working with El Generico. Next, Lacey Evans cut a promo afterwards that served as a reintroduction to her and her story. It was meh. It, I'd like to say it was real and raw and emotional. And it was what Sassy Southern Belle persona never really was. The fans reacted accordingly, cheering her as she wrapped things up. However, I prefer the Southern Sassy Belle. The Sassy Southern Bell persona. So overall, 3 out of 10. My thoughts. I'm clearly still hungover, McAfee said after his WrestleMania appearance, following up a video recap. When Lacey Evans made her TV return, dealing with her childhood with a dad who suffered from addiction and her journey to WWE, that doesn't make me any better than any other superstar, but they damn sure ain't better than me, she said to close out the segment for this video. Next, Sasha Banks versus Liv Morgan. Rhea Ripley was conspicuous in her absence as her partner Liv Morgan took to the ring for a match with Sasha Banks accompanied by women's tag team championship partner Naomi. Morgan hoped to turn the momentum in her and Ripley's favour, but to do so, she would have to defeat one. And it's such a sad state of affairs, I'm saying this. One of the best re female wrestlers Easily in the top 10 that WWE has at this point. 
Societe Banks. Morgan and Banks delivered an amazing match that brought fans to their feet in support of both women on several occasions. At one point, Banks was a better wrestler though and she knocked Morgan on her face. When Morgan countered a suplex into a small package for the win, the Sasha Banks looked pissed off. Although she shouldn't be because that's the, what Liv Morgan did in the Riot Squad. The former Riot Squad member needed the win to avenge the loss, the loser label, but also prove to Ripley when the Aussie inevitably turns heel that she is not the weak link in the team. 9 out of 10. Naomi put Morgan over on the commentary table, something that will only serve to enhance her and Banks when she won. They beat her and Ripley to retain the titles, if I should say they beat her and Ripley to retain the titles on Monday. And hey, we will do, do the Raw review momentarily. However, we had to finish SmackDown first. Banks totally sold the pissed off look. And she's overconfident and arrogant as always. And hey, that's, that's how it is. After teasing the Universal... Champion oh for 90% of the show. The next step in the islands of relevancy, the undisputed WWE Universal Champion Roman Reigns delivered the big revelation. He wants the Usos to go to Raw and challenge for the title so the bloodline can hold all the gold, despite the fact that the fucking tag team championships on Raw and SmackDown are silver. This bugs me. Like, this really bugs me. Then, Shaky Nakamura interrupted the proceeding, proceedings, teasing a feud with the head of the table, only to be laid out by the, Us the Usos in an anticlimactic end to the show. The Usos versus... RK Bro over on Monday nights feels like the most logical next step for both teams given the utter dominance over the respective brands. We saw the rivalry start off on Raw when Jimmy and Jay teamed with Austin Theory to defeat Randy Orton, Riddle and Finn Balor so nothing about the announcement was surprising at all. What is surprising is the tease of Nakamura as the next challenger for Reigns. Guess they're not ready for Cody of the House Roads yet. Fair enough. If they're not going to have Cody win it now, don't let him challenge it now. I'm going to give this segment an 8 out of 10. Nakamura versus... Um, yeah... Sorry, um, shit, I've got to turn pages over. What is surprising is the tease of Nakamura as the next challenger to Reigns' Universal Championship. 
The artist has spent the better part of the last two years as a tag team competitor, but he still has a mediocre amount of credibility built up with wrestling fans in WWE. His reputation from around the world, however, precedes him, and more importantly, that secedes, supersedes some of the questionable booking that has accompanied him in recent years. Nakamura vs Reigns is a fresh match-up that has its roots all the way back to 2018 Royal Rumble, when the prospective challenger won the title match by eliminating the champion. It would be an overhaul for WWE to recall that, but meh. Creating the impression that Nakamura can convincingly defeat Reigns and end his title run is never going to happen. My thoughts. Smackdown and the Universal Champion, it wasn't enough. Reigns said before recalling his win over Cowboy Brock at Mania. I want Yar to go to Raw and I want Yar to bring me those Raw Tag Team Championships, the Tribal Chief told the Usos. The bloodline gonna have all that gold soon, Reigns exclaimed. Let me give you some of this bloodline love, Reigns said before hugging Nakamura, only for the Usos to rock him with a double super kick. McAfee's super kick party reference just pissed me off in all time. In all honesty. And that was smacking. And now we turn to Monday Night Raw from the 11th of the 4th, 2022. Raw opened with a recap of Cody Rhodes returning to WWE at WrestleMania, along with his promo from last week's show. It also included... The footage of Seth Rollins joining him in the ring and shaking his hand. Jimmy Smith, Byron Sexton and Jerry, Raw- Jerry Lawler were on commentary. <coughs> Lawler thanked Corey Graves, who got married to Carmella last week, for sacrificing his future happiness so that he would appear on Raw. The Miz made his entrance and hosted Miz TV segment. He said his guest was Cody Rhodes and noted that he beat Rollins at WrestleMania, then questioned whether Rhodes could beat him later in the show. Miz told the fans that their options didn't matter and their opinions didn't matter because they cheered for the Lions, you know, football team. Cody Rhodes made his entrance once in the ring, Miz said, they broke their pyro budget and it took Cody 45 minutes to get to the ring while celebrating himself. Rhodes told Miz not to get hot and not to begrudge him this moment because it has been a long time. Cody stood up in his chair and played to the crowd, which cheered him. Then broke into Cody, and then Cody, Cody, Cody. Miz then stated 
One of the reasons Cody returned to WWE was to make his father proud. Miz said that if it wasn't for Cody's family name, he wouldn't be the grandson of a plumber. He'd just be a plumber. Cody told Miz that was clever. Cody asked Miz why why it would be a good thing to be a plumber. You aren't completely full of shit. I stopped myself, but you guys know what I meant, Rhodes said. He added that Miz hadn't changed a day. You're a full-blown carny, Rhodes said. And you know what that makes you? Reliable, good old reliable Mike, Cody asked if he looked. The same to Miz. Cody spoke about being gone for six years and how now he wants to win the Universal Championship belt. It's a title. A belt holds up your pants, the Miz responded. And Jerry Lawler laughed. Miz said anyone who can beat Rollins at WrestleMania deserves to be in the title contention. Miz said he heard that Rollins wants a rematch. And this time Rhodes won't be able to surprise him. Miz said he didn't like Cody's chances against Rollins or against him. Miz compared that everything that has happened at WrestleMania, people were talking about Cody. The fans chanted for Cody, causing Miz to bark at them. Miz said everyone knows where Cody's been for the last six years, but he said Miz TV... It's his show and Cody doesn't get to embarrass him. Miz told Rhodes that he won't stand for it. Cody stood up and told Miz to settle down. He said he respects Miz and all his accomplishments. Cody said that he got a sense that all this hostility was because Miz felt threatened by him. He said he would be happy to give Rollins a match, but he said Miz was making things personal. Cody then said he knew where he knew there would be questions and doubts when he returned to WWE. He said he's mature enough to handle it all. Cody said he came back to be the very best wrestler in WWE. Superstar, the Miz corrected. Cody said he was looking forward to his first match on Raw in six years. Another Cody chant broke out. Maybe the best ma- may the best man win, Cody told Miz before handing him his microphone. Miz tried to attack Cody, who sidestepped him and tossed him outside of the ring. 10 out of 10, my thoughts. A very good segment that made me more excited about their match than I was going in. I got a kick out of the Miz correcting Cody on WWE lingo. For what it's worth, they may have given up on the Cody Vale entrance due to the raw set. It was hard to tell for sure, but there was smoke slash fog and other effects. Footage aired of Roman Reigns giving the Usos the order to unify the WWE Tag Team titles. The broadcast team hyped up RK-Bro versus Alpha Academy, along with the previously advertised matches. 
Dominic Mysterio made his entrance for his match with fear. Veer Manhall made his entrance. So yes, the first match of the night featured Veer taking on one of the men he attacked last week, Dominic Mysterio. While Dominic was able to dodge the big man's initial attack, he was quickly overwhelmed by the powerhouse, even though the high flyer got a little bit of offence. Veer still finished him off in just a few minutes with a modified camel clutch. He joined the Shiki Baby's finisher. The Shiki Baby. Someone tell the Iron Sheik. This was more than fear squashing a random jobber, but not by much. Ray was nowhere to be seen, so his son ended up suffering a post-match attack too. The good news is Veer did look like the beast WWE wants us to believe he is. It is also interesting to see how long he goes before he finally loses. 3 out of 10. My thoughts. Veer would have been over when he caught Dominic at ringside had it not been for the barricade that kept him up. Would have fallen over, sorry. WWE really sold the attack by having EMTs take Dominic out of the arena. Footage uh, then, uh, footage then aired from earlier in the day in which random generic interviewer lady asked AJ Styles for his game plan in his match against Damien Priest. Styles spoke about having to fight two men. He said Edge spoke about his family and what happens. They have to throw hands. Priest walked past and was spotted by Styles, which led to a brief brawl and a pull-apart. Now, the match itself. AJ Styles versus Damian Priest. Styles clotheslined Priest over the top rope, and Priest landed on his feet at ringside. Styles hit him with a flying forearm from the apron. The crowd chanted for Styles, who re-entered to the ring and leapt over the top rope and hit Priest with another flying forearm. Priest took offensive control, a grapple, a, a graphic then appeared on screen of Bianca Belair versus Queen Z for later in the, in the show. Styles made a brief comeback and played to the crowd while setting up for his finisher. But Priest caught him with a kick that knocked him off the apron. Priest knelt down in the ring and raised his arms up. The lights went out and then Edge. Then the Edge lightning was used. Styles fought Danian Priest to a non-finish. The broadcast team recapped the previous match and said that they didn't know what happened, but the power in the building has been restored. Backstage, AJ Styles, who had cuts on his face, was interrupted by a generic interviewer. He asked, he didn't care what, he asked him what happened, and Styles said he didn't care what Edge or anybody else did because they won't stop him 
from getting to Priest. My thoughts. So the Stars versus Priest match ended because the lights went out for a second and Edge's special lightning effects replaced the usual lightning. Um, okay. Next. And this is hour two of the show. Cody made his full entrance again. The ref called for the bell to start the match. Seth Rollins made his entrance before Cody and Miz could lock up. Miz took advantage of the distraction and went on the offense to start. Cody came right back with a body slam. Miz ducked to ringside. Cody followed and chased him back inside the ring. Miz tried to hit Cody with an elbow when he re-entered the ring, but Cody avoided it. Cody held up Miz for a vertical suplex and dropped him face first, then covered him for a two count. Rollins was shown applauding while seated at ringside, his feet on the broadcast table. Miz applied a chin lock. Cody fought free and punched Miz a few times. Miz sent Cody into the corner where he flipped over the ropes and landed on his feet on the apron. Miz hit Cody with a boot to the head to knock him to ringside. Cody picked up a near fall coming out of the break. Miz rolled to the floor where he was hit by Cody's suicide dive. Cody rolled Miz back in the ring. Cody went up top and leaped over a charging Miz. Then sold knee pain when he landed on his feet. Miz drop kicked Cody's knee. Miz applied a figure four. Cody and Miz traded slaps. Then Cody rolled over the figure four. Miz reached the ropes to break the hold. Cody put Miz down with a springboard RKO. He followed up with a crossroads and scored a clean win. Cody Rhodes defeated the Miz in roughly 11 minutes and 45 seconds. Rollins remains seated and applaud Cody for scoring the pin. Cody went to the ropes and signed for the things that kept his pants up while playing to the crowd, you know, the belt. Rollins laughed when Cody dropped off the apron and noted that he was in the ring. Rollins said, he heard all kinds of things that Cody had to say about him earlier. And he also heard him use the word rematch. Rollins pointed out that Rhodes was a surprise opponent and that gave Cody the advantage. And now I see what I'm working with. Rollins laughed. Rollins called for a rematch and asked Mr. Nightmare for his thoughts. Yes, absolutely. Cody said off mic. Rollins laughed and then danced while the crowd chanted and cheered his entrance theme. Lawler and Cody. Lawler said Cody was reeled in by Rollins and called it a thing of beauty. Sorry guys, my writing isn't too clear. I was watching and writing at the same time. My thoughts. A solid match, but the Miz 
has been a punching bag of baby faces for so long now, it actually feels strange to see him have a competitive match with a guy. Like Rhodes, it was also a bit much to see Cody's full entrance twice in an hour. The post-match angle was fine. I like they're taking an animatic approach with Rollins for the moment and an ambiguous approach as well. Highlights aired of last week's segment involving Kevin Owens and Ezekiel slash Elias. Backstage, Tommaso Ciampa was interrupted by Kevin Patrick as the newest member of the Ra-Rasta. Ezekiel showed up before Ciampa could say a word and welcomed him to the roster. Ciampa thanked him and said it was nice to meet him. Kevin Owens showed up and accused Ezekiel of being Elias. Ezekiel left. Ciampa told Owens that Ezekiel is the younger brother of Elias. Owens questioned if he's the only one who is sane and told Champa to grow up. Liv Morgan made her entrance for her match against Naomi. Card subject to change. WWE previously advertised Sasha Banks and Naomi versus Rhea Ripley and Liv Morgan for the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships, but they called another audible. Saxton spoke about WrestleMania 38 Mainstream headlines regarding the event were shown. The broadcast team recapped Banks and Naomi beating Ripley and Morgan last week. And then the post-match angle was shown with Ripley informing Morgan that Adam Pearce had granted them a title shot. Footage also aired of Morgan beating Banks on SmackDown. Saxton said... It gave the challengers momentum heading into their title shot. Or not. Liv Morgan versus Naomi with Sasha Banks. The entrances of Naomi and Banks were both televised. Both women went for just ridiculous kicks. When they both stood up, Morgan went for her finisher but my but Naomi held onto the ropes moments later Morgan leapt from the ropes and was caught by Naomi who power bombed her Naomi went for the pin Morgan reversed it then Naomi reversed it again and got the three counts Liv Morgan lost to Naomi in two minutes 22 seconds do you know what let me give that Miz and Cody match a 15 out of 10 However, the Liv Morgan versus Naomi match, 3 out of 10. This was 50-50 booking and it's fucking ridiculous, is my thoughts on this match. We returned from a break to see Bobby Lashley already talking in the ring. The VIP lounge was set up, but there was no MVP or Ormus yet. The Almighty spoke about MVP's betrayal and invited him and Ormus out to explain why he did what he did. MVP came out to the stage and the former allies traded insults. Lashley promised to go after MVP once he had dealt with Ormus. He then proceeded to throw all the furniture out of the ring. This was 
a filler segment. MVP didn't reveal anything we didn't already know. And Lashley just said what we all knew he was feeling. This should have been a quick backstage interview, not a segment. Two out of ten. My thoughts. It was so weird to come back to the show when Lashley was mid-sentence. It seemed like something was off with timing when he began. Even a big and tall store probably has to special order suits for Amos. Next, the Narcissist versus Queen Z and the Narcissist won. Yeah. Sonia Deville made her way out as the show went to a break. When the show returned, Deville congratulated the Narcissist on her win at Mania before having her sign an open contract. After she signed, Deville revealed her next opponent would be her. She attacked the Narcissist from behind and left her down and out. The match with Queen Z was nothing special, but seeing Deville finally getting back into the title hunt is going to be great. This revelation was obvious from a mile away, but it still worked. Next, RK Bro took on the Alpha Academy in a tag titles match this week. If Chad Gable and Otis won, they earned a title shot. If they lost, they could never challenge RK Bro again. Riddle started off against Gable and took control almost immediately, but as soon as Otis was tagged in, the tables completely turned and the champions were on the defensive. While the two teams have been in several matches over the past few months, while they always put on a good show, it is... What I'm looking for here, it is... A blinding show of how small the WWE's tag team men's division has become. Raw has a few teams that it needs. Raw has so few teams that it needs to bring the Usos in from SmackDown just to give RK Bro a new feud. The match was fine, and it felt just like something we have seen a lot recently. Randy Orton and Riddle scored the win, so Alpha Academy has to wait until other teams win the belts before they can chase them again. The Usos arrived backstage and made their way out to confront Orton and Riddle. Before too much could be said, the Street Profits came out and weighed in on the situation. This led the Usos and the Street Profits to having a match. Eight out of ten. Gable and Otis were rocking some new gear tonight. It had a very similar colour scheme to a lot of stuff Eddie Guerrero used to wear back in WCW. Chad Gable's pre-match promo was mostly just him repeating lines he had said in previous promos, and it was just meh. No matter how long he does the same gimmick, the crowd will always pop for Orton. He has a special kind of longevity especially since his RKO is one of the most popular finishes in WWE and is used by so many people all over the fucking world. Next, 
Jimmy Uso and Montez Ford started for their teams in this cross-brand showdown. They started with basic lockups and wrist locks to get things going. As expected, this was a competitive match between these two teams. Everything they did had a level of excitement and felt fresh because these guys haven't fought before. The match had hard-hitting strikes, power moves, high spots galore. This was definitely the right match to book for the main event because the crowd was shit-hot for everything they did. While all four guys did an outstanding job here, Ford was the clear standout. He had the best spots and most memorable moments. He is going to be a good little mid-card champion eventually. It's a matter of when, not if. After a hard-fought fight, the Usos scored the win. This firmly established that we will see RK-Bro versus the Usos with both sets of titles on the line at some point. The show was very middle of the road, but the main event, in my opinion, was Rhodes versus The Miz. They were worth watching. My thoughts. Orton and Riddle sat at ringside but did not join commentary. Did they not have enough headsets for guests of Monday Night Raw? This was the first all night when it felt like Jerry Lawler was paying attention to the action in ring and not just filling in for Corey Graves while he's on honeymoon. Ford taking out both Usos with a dive and immediately dancing was bullshit and it was just bullshit that wasn't needed. Orton and Riddle's faces was the best moments of entertainment all night. The blockbuster doomsday device, the profits hit, Jimmy looked amazing. And that was Monday Night Raw.